Okay, we've been going through this series on the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, if you've been with us for the past couple of weeks, we kicked it off a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we started in Galatians. And uh, I told everybody, hey, before I could even jump into the fruit of the Spirit, before I can even talk about love and joy and peace, we got to talk about how do we even produce that fruit, right? And so then we went into talking about abiding in the vine, being a branch, attaching ourselves to Jesus, who is the vine, and then looking to our vine dresser, God, God who, who makes sure that the atmosphere is right, makes sure that we're not too, too on the soil, lifts us up, course corrects us, moves us so that we can not just be fruitful and not just be more fruitful, but that we would bear much fruit. And then last week, Scott talked about love. And he unpacked that and he talked about all the, all the different loves that are out there because in English, we only have one word for it. But it seems like so many other languages, there's like so many other words for love. There are different depths of love, different displays of love. And so today we're going to jump into joy, peace, and patience. I'm going to try to get through joy, peace, and patience. But if you can turn to your Bibles with me to Galatians 5.22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, fruitfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we talk about all of these fruits, but really when the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit, it's one. Because you can't have one without the other. You can't be kind and not loving, right? Like you can't be gentle and not loving. You can't be patient and not loving. I mean, they all go hand in hand. So really it's one fruit. But I had somebody talk to me, and it's happened before, where they're like, you know, um, I'm just, I'm just not that loving. Like, I'm just, I'm just not a good Christian because I'm really just not that patient. And I thought to myself, and I was like, you know, there's this idea that we can get into. Um, like, there are super Christians out there. Like, like, yeah, I'm just not super Christian like Billy Graham because I'm just not capable of that kind of love. And somehow we look at the fruit of the Spirit as if it's like this standard, this to-do list, this thing that we have to strive for. And if we don't do all of this, if we are not loving and joyful and peaceful and full of faith and kind and gentle, then I'm a less than Christian. But I want to show you something because what's so amazing when we talk about abiding in the vine is that this is not a to-do list. This is actually the fruit that we receive from God. And what I mean by that is, when you look at this list, what God wants is that in all circumstances, we can be joyful. That we receive the blessing of joyfulness. That in all things, we can have peace, even when everything around us is chaotic. That's a blessing that God wants for us. That, that regardless of how crazy and how much we want to scream on the inside, God's saying, no, I want you to be able to be patient not something that we have to muster up from the inside out, but a blessing that we receive from God. That's why we talk about abiding in the vine because you can't produce, no branch can strain to pop a fruit out, right? That's impossible. 
Like, like you, can't, you can't yell at the branch enough to produce fruit, right? You can't try and strive hard enough as a branch to produce fruit. We produce it by receiving. We receive it. And so even as I talk about this, don't try and separate yourself and be like, well, that's not, I'm not a super Christian. Like, that's not, I can't, I can't be like that. I'm hoping that today as we hear from the word of God, that we realize, no, 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 all of this that we're talking about, it's to receive it. It's not saying you must do this. It's you need to receive it from the Lord, from Jesus. So let's talk about joy. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Filled with joy for eternity. Filled with joy for eternity. Isn't that kind of like what we strive for in life? That we want to be happy and we don't ever want that happiness to end. Right? Like we want to be full of joy and happiness and we want it to be for all eternity. And, and the world gives us these like glimpses of, you know, things that we enjoy, like, like shopping or cooking or gaming or, or even spending time with our family or, you know, all these things that we're like, oh, I, I love doing that. I wish I could do that forever. Like, I wish I didn't have all these other responsibilities, right? We were created to be full of joy. And the world says, no, see, see let me just give you these little tiny glimpses of what that could look like. And then we strive for that. And then we say, um, I want to be, because we were created for fullness of joy, we say, let me just fill my entire time with all those little things that make me happy. And then what happens is we start living our life like, like if I would just take away the negativity, take away the things that are hard, and I fill my life more and more with the things that make me happy, then I'll have a happy life. Isn't that what we do? I mean, I do that. I hate doing laundry. I hate doing the dishes, right? That's why they pile up. (laughs) I love doing the things that make me happy. We were created for that. That's why in the Psalms it says, you fill me with joy. But where is that joy coming from? It's in the presence of the Lord. It's in the presence of the Lord. I think that the most common idol that we have today in our society isn't so much like a different religion or anything like that. I think the most common idol we have in our society today is pleasure. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says to themselves, you know, I think I'll sin today. (laughs) What do we go after on a day-to-day basis? We go after the things that we think make us happy. We go after the pleasures. And and it becomes disappointing because pleasures of the world are so limited. They come and they go. I get a shopping high, I get all these shoes, and then like the day after, I'm like, man, I should not have spent that money. Right? We try to fill our lives so much with things that we were supposed to be 
that were supposed to bring us joy, but they're like the cherry on the top. They don't sustain. They're not, they're not the main thing. And so we keep trying to fill our life. And, and what begins to happen is, is we get more and more and more disappointed. And then one day we wake up and we're like, I'm not even happy with my life. But you look back and you're like, well, but I have money or I have a family or I have a good job. And you try and pinpoint, well, why am I not happy? Right? Why, why am I so disappointed? Why am I? And we realize from the psalm, there's fullness of joy, but there's only one place for it. And it's in the presence of the Lord. It goes on to say, with eternal pleasures, it is at God's right hand. You know, the right hand symbolizes a lot of things. Even in, on earth, it symbolizes a place of honor, of dignity. It symbolizes a place where, where um, God wants to give his blessing. When, when you look at any sort of monarchy, usually the king sits at the head, and then whoever sits at the right hand place, like that's the place of honor. That's the place where it's like you shower them with gifts. That's the place where you parade them in front of everyone and say, this right here, this person, this person is special, set apart. And God's saying, look, when you come into my presence, when you're full of joy in my presence, I will sit you at the right hand. That means that God doesn't want to give us any left-handed heaven. No, he wants to to be able to be in a place where it's the right hand, which means that there is nothing that he wants to withhold from you. There is no closer a seat to the king than the right hand. And that's what we have. In his presence is fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore at his right hand. What he promises is a joy that is not temporary. It doesn't just come and go. A joy that lasts forever. The beginning part of that passage says, you make known to me the path of life. And in your presence there is fullness of joy. You make known to me the path of life. Suppose you walk into a house uh, of a friend who maybe came from like more primitive place in the world, and you walk in, and he has a pan in the fireplace, and he's like grumbling, and you're like, what's up? And he's like, it's not working, and you're like, what's not working? And he goes, the, the, the water catcher, the water catcher is not working. Like, there's an opening in the roof, and when the rain comes down, like, I'm, I'm supposed to be able to catch water, and he's like frustrated, and then you, as a good friend, you're like, oh, that's not a water catcher. That is a fireplace. Actually, you build a fire in it, and the hole in the roof is so the smoke can get out. You realize that when we know what something is created for, you get so much out of it. Life is the same way. When we realize what we were created for, and that comes in the presence of the Lord, you don't, find, you don't find your purpose anywhere else, I'm telling you right now. You can search till the, to the ends of the world. You can listen to your parents, your teachers, your universities. I'm telling you, to know what you were created for, that comes in the presence of the Lord. But when we find out what we were created for, you get so much more out of life. 
there is so much less of frustration and confusion. I'm sure that guy was really thankful to know that that was not a water catcher. Just like I'm really thankful to know what my purpose in life is now. When we talk about joy, Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne. He endured the cross. He endured the cross. See, Jesus knew what his purpose was. In the presence of God, he received the purpose for his life, which then gave him the joy to walk through life, even when it was difficult. I think in life sometimes we, we look at it and we think, well, anything negative is bad. Anything that causes pain is bad. But when we look at the Bible, all throughout the Bible, whether or not there is pain, regardless of what our environment is, joy is still available. And when Jesus endured the cross, he endured it because he saw the joy that was set before him. That means that he received the purpose from God, which is to be with you. And he was able to endure it. When I first came to know the Lord, my parents almost disowned me. And uh, I just remember it was really difficult because all throughout my life, my one, my one desire was for my parents to like accept me. Like my one desire was to make them proud. And then I became a Christian. And I can't tell you how disappointed they were. I can't tell you. My dad was almost like, don't call until you got that sorted out. Like, don't come home. You don't need to call me dad anymore. It was painful. It was painful. But you know what was so amazing was that in those moments that was so painful, I finally realized this is what I was created for. And then the joy that I had in the midst of that pain was the joy that I knew Jesus was the way. Jesus was the only way, and I'm not going to let that go. And there was this joy that was in my heart. Even though there were tears, even though it was hard and I'm crying and I might lose my family over this thing, there were tears, but there was a joy that I knew I am not going to let this go. I'm not going to let him go. And just the same, Jesus was on the cross, and he said, I'm not going to let you go. And that joy sustained him. He was able to endure it. Do you guys remember the story of Jacob and Laban? Jacob went to find a wife. He saw Laban's daughter, Rachel, and said, I'll work for you for her. Laban's like, work for me for seven years and you can have my daughter. And he goes, okay. And the Bible says that it was as though it was a few days. Why? I'm sure it was hard. I'm sure it felt like forever, but to him, there was such joy in the pain. But he saw the end and knew what he was going after. He knew what his purpose was in that moment. And he said, there's joy. It was as if it was a few days. That's the joy that God has for us. That's the joy that he wants you to experience. Joy, it's not this external circumstance, what you do or how things are built up. It's this internal 
satisfaction, this internal stability that says, oh, I know, regardless of what's happening here, I know. I know in his presence. Which really kind of goes hand in hand with peace. Over and over we see peace throughout the Bible. God is Yahweh Shalom. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. The Gospel is the gospel of peace. And then Matthew and it talks about how you and I, we are peacemakers. There is this theme of peace that, that God is saying, like, don't let go of this. There is something here. In John 14, 27, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. See, when we look at the fruit of the Spirit, every time it talks about it, it's saying, Jesus saying, I'm giving it to you, right? It's not something that you just muster up. I'm giving it to you. Peace I leave to you. This is right before Jesus gets crucified. This is right before things get really crazy. This is right before the disciples are going to have their entire world shattered because they just follow this guy for years and they think that Jesus is going to be their, this king, this savior that's going to come and they're going to, you know, revamp all of the economy and government and, and they're going to take over and they're going to rule the world and, and all of that is going to happen but not the way that they thought. And Jesus knew that. Things are about to look like they lost. Things are about to look like they're going backwards instead of forwards. And Jesus is saying, look, I know what's about to come, and I'm going to tell you right now, peace. There's peace. There's peace that's available to you, and I'm going to give it to you, not as the world gives. I think it's so amazing that, um, that Jesus cares so much about our emotions. Right? Sometimes we think that Jesus is up there and he's just like, suck it up already. But he's not. He knew. He knew the torment the disciples were going to go through. He knew the questions. He knew the fight, the lies that they were going to have to go through. And he, he prepared them before it even happened. He cares. He cares. When we think about peace, I think it's really easy um, like, there's a lot of things that make us at peace, right? Like, like this picture of this beach. How many of you guys want to be at the beach right now? Yeah, yeah I know. Like, I go here, and I'm like, oh, this is so peaceful. Um, but actually, Scott loves the ocean more than I do. I actually really like the mountains. Uh, this is what gives me peace. I could, like, go into a cabin, hide away forever, and be like, yes, this is so much peace. This is not the peace Jesus is talking about. <laughs> Again, sometimes we look to our external so much. And God's saying, look, look, true peace, true peace is the inside. So this is actually the picture of peace. Uh, go back to the one before, right here. This is the picture of peace. And you're like, what? <laughs> that looks crazy to me. That's like storms and lightning and what is that waterfall? And like, I don't even know if you could survive that thing if you were out there. But if you couldn't, you might have seen it, but maybe you didn't see it. I don't know. But in this picture is this perfect little tiny picture of peace, and it's like this bird. There's a bird right here. And then if you go to the next slide, you can actually see the bird a little bit better. 
See, that bird is at peace. It doesn't matter what's happening around them. That bird knows exactly where to hide, exactly where to be in. And when Jesus is saying, peace I give to you, not as the world gives, this is what he's talking about. He's saying, regardless of what's happening around you, if you know where to hide, if you know where to abide, if you know who to go to, it doesn't matter what's happening around. You'll be just like that bird. You'll be at peace. That's the kind of peace that God's talking about. God is peace. He's the prince of peace. The word is the gospel of peace. And when we make God, when we make Jesus our king, that's what's available to us. Sometimes I think um, making God king, it's, I think sometimes we say, oh, well, we made him lord of our life, and then it's like a done deal, and then um, he's lord of our life now. Woo! Like he just sits on the throne of my life forever. Um, but did you know that every day you have a choice on who sits on the throne of your life? Like Jesus is your savior. Like you made him your savior, but, but the throne of your life, who's in control, who's making the decisions? It could be Jesus. It could be you. It could be a circumstance. It could be another person. I remember when I was going through something super difficult with a family member and, uh, and it would just tear me up inside. Like, I, ha- I hadn't felt this kind of anxiety in the entire time I've known Jesus, I think. And uh, I just remember thinking to myself, like, I don't even know if he's alive. Like, I don't even know where he's at. I don't, I don't even know if he's, like, into drugs. Like, I don't, I ha- like, I don't know. And every time I thought about it, I remember, like, my chest would get so tight. And I would, like, have a hard time breathing. And I'd have a hard time sleeping at night. And, and it's not like I didn't pray. It's not like I didn't know that Jesus was my peace and it was available to me. And I had people pray for me. I mean, I sat through some powerful prayers of deliverance of anxiety. And every time those prayers were done, guess how I felt? The same. (laughs) Right? The same. You know, sometimes our healing comes right away. Like when Jesus healed the blind man, I mean, he was able to see. But sometimes our healing comes because it's like the leprous man who Jesus healed. And he said, now go show, to, show yourself to the priest. And as the leprous man was walking, he was healed. Sometimes our healing comes because we have to exercise and practice, practice those muscles. Sometimes we have to walk it out because he wants us to be strengthened by our healing. And it was that thing when, as I realized I'm walking through this process of why am I struggling with so much anxiety? Is it because I care too much? Is it because I, I realized as I'm walking that the reason, I had to be strengthened on the inside, but the reason is because Jesus, whenever I thought of my family member, the, it was because Jesus no longer sat on the throne in that moment. It was because I sat there and I allowed some lie. He must be dead. Some, some person, my family member, some worry, some anxiety, the devil to sit on the throne in that moment. And, and when I make him, you, not, you may not even realize you're doing it. But when we become affected by something, 
when we no longer have the joy and the peace and the patience, it's because somewhere in, the, in that moment, Jesus no longer sits on the throne of your life. And I had to exercise, I had to exercise this muscle of training how to keep him on the throne of my life. Because he doesn't just stay there. Jesus doesn't just force himself into your life, right? He pursues you and then you make the choice. Like, we all make the choice. We all have that choice. And so you choose whether or not to keep him on the throne of your life on a day-to-day basis. And I realize I am not going to let a person or some lie that's not even true sit on that throne. No one is going to have that much power over my life. The only person is Jesus. Amen? Patience. Patience is when we have this deep satisfaction, this deep peace in our heart. I'm really impatient, by the way, if you guys like know me. Uh, I always say it's because I don't like to waste time, but really it's just because I'm impatient. <laughs> I mean, like, let's be real. Like, we can mask it any way we want. Like, oh, I just don't like to waste time. Like, I don't, you know, like, let's drive a little over the speed limit because I don't like to waste time. You know, like, give me microwave dinners because I don't like to waste time. Let me just watch and binge this Netflix show because I don't like to waste time. I just want to know what happens in the end. You can say it any way you want. It's impatience. That's me. But I think we live in a, in a society where that's very normal. We're trying to cut corners. We're always trying to do things and uh, make it. We always, I always laugh at this. We try to make it as good in less amount of time. Right? Like you try to make your dinner as good as if you were to like spend hours on it in less amount of time. So you pop it in the microwave. But you all know it's not as good. Or like Keurig coffees. Nobody in here can tell me your Keurig coffee is just as good as when someone takes five minutes to do like a nice pour over. No one. Right? So we always want these conveniences in our life. And I think that that over time, we take that into our Christian life. That, that we start getting impatient with God because we're so good at being impatient and getting what we want in life. That, that we can pray for 10 minutes and be like, God, why hasn't it happened yet? And that might be an exaggeration, but you get the point. That sometimes we... We look to our walk with the Lord and we say, like, Lord, I want to be rich, but I don't want to be a good steward. Like, Lord, I want to be, I want to have that title, but I don't want to serve. Lord, I, I, I want to, you know, have all these things, but I don't want to walk through the process in order to get it. But I want it to be just as good. And we, we take that into our Christian walk. And then we look at God and say, God, you're not faithful. Because you didn't do it on my time. And two things happen when we become impatient with God. We either give up and we say, God, it's not worth it. I don't even know if this is really going to happen. Or we try and take a detour, which we all know in here, if you take a detour, it always takes longer than it usually does, at least for me. And we try and work the system. How do I, how do I get what I want still? But on my own time and in my own terms. Patience. Hebrews 6.12 says, do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience 
inherit the promises. Sometimes we can read this and we can, we can say like, oh, it's through, it's through faith and giftings that we'll inherit the promises. It's through faith and strategy that we'll inherit the promises. It's through faith and good looks that we'll inherit the promises. And God's saying, no, it's through faith and patience. And these are the two things that require time. You don't know if someone is faithful until they do things again and again and again and over a matter of time. You're like, man, that person's so faithful, right? Or patience. You have no idea if someone's patient or not until they've been tried or extended period of time has gone by. And God's saying, this is how you inherit the promises. This, faith and patience. And sometimes we look at it and be like, Lord, but what do I need to do to inherit the promises? And the Lord's saying, like, look, you need to have faith and patience. But what do I need to do in order to inherit the promises? You know, faith and patience... It's hard. That's why the Lord says, do not be sluggish. It's not a, like, last days ago, I'm just going to sit here and be like, all right, it's coming. It's coming. No, faith requires us to continually go back to the Lord, continually remind us of what he's, he's promised to us, and continually step out and say, okay, you said this, you said this, I'm just going to keep doing this. You told me this, I'm just going to keep doing it. And then patience is as you are stepping out in faith, you just keep waiting and you keep waiting and you keep waiting and believing and waiting and believing and waiting and believing. And it's hard. Sometimes I think that's harder than like actually striving and going after it. I think the only thing harder than waiting though is wishing that you had. Like, how many of you guys look back and be like, I wish I waited. I wish I waited. That's harder. That's harder than waiting. In order to receive patience, Psalm 27, 13 through 14, I love this psalm because it's so good. The psalmists are so authentic <laughs> and real. The psalmist says, I would have lost heart. I would have. I'm, I'm on the brink. I'm on the verge. And he said, unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Like sometimes I hear people talk about like, oh, well, like you, this life is so bad and we're just going down the tube. And, but when we get to heaven, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we'll see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And then the next part says, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord and then be of good courage because it takes strength to wait on the Lord. It takes a lot of strength and patience and he shall strengthen your heart. He shall strengthen your heart. It's not something that you're going to muster on the inside. It's going to God and saying, I can't. And God saying, oh, I'll give it to you. He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. Sometimes I think we can, we walk according to God's timing and God's plan 
And really our life is to bring God glory. But we get so caught up in these moments when, when somebody, you know, cuts us off and while you're driving and then, whoop, joy's out the window. You know, these little moments. But I have an illustration I want to show you. Sometimes we get so caught up because we don't really realize um, what our life looks like. Let's just pretend this is our life. Um, let's just pretend this, this rope goes on for eternity. It doesn't. It stops right here at the curtain. But let's just pretend, okay? Let's imagine our life goes on forever, and this is like an indication of our life right here. And um, I had a marker, but I was going to mark where our life is on this. And I was going to mark right here, and I was going to put a dot right here at the end. And I was going to ask you, can you see the dot? And you're going to say no. And it's because it doesn't matter. Because that's how little our life is compared to eternity. <laughs> right there. This tiny little dot in the beginning when we first, first got born. This is our eternity. You know, you're living your eternity now. Like, like when you die, like we, we, we go into eternity. And our, our life is represented by this tiny dot right here. And this is what we do. We say, oh, um, man, I, I get so, I'm so worried. And I get so, am I going to travel? Am I going to, I'm just going to save up my money to live on this side of the dot. And I'm going to um, try and do this so that I could do that. And you know what she said to me, like right here on this part of the dot? And we get so caught up by this tiny portion of our life and we don't realize that our life is eternal and that what we do right here is going to affect this entire thing forever, forever. When I think about the fruits of the Spirit, I think, man, I give them up so easily. I give up what God wants me to have so easily. I am so short-sighted. Like, I get so caught up in the moments. But when we take a step back and we look at our life like this, I think it's a lot easier to say, oh, oh, Lord, you, you are so good. I have the joy. I have the peace. I have the patience When we have eternal eyes, all that stuff kind of just falls away. In Hebrews, I'm going to end with the scripture. In 12, and we read this a little bit already, and it talks about Jesus. And it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. He's the pioneer, the author, the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God when we can understand that we are in Christ and Christ is now at the right hand, at the throne of God at his right hand, you know that's where we are right now. 
That's why there is nothing that God has that he will withhold from us. And when we take a step back and we look at our life and we look at the joy that we have set before us and we look at the rest of our life and we look at eternity, that's why it's so much easier to be like, oh, that was nothing. Oh, yeah, yeah, I can lay that aside. Yeah, I don't want that to hinder me. Oh, yeah, that was, that was so small compared to this. And it puts things in perspective for us. And it makes us realize how good God is and how much he wants for us. Amen.